The following is a conversation between Bryce and Ray, Charlie Schwab, and Oliver Williams, all students currently studying at Drake University. To support us, please follow the Drake Broadcasting System on any social media platforms you use. And now, please enjoy this episode of the In Case You Missed It podcast. Welcome back. Today is Monday, March 27th, 2023. I'm joined by Oliver Williams. Hi. And not Charlie Schwab due to scheduling conflicts, but her normal segment covering Drake's controversial and lawsuit-filled past will be posted on Thursday as part of a second bonus episode, so stay tuned. That being said, you are listening to the sixth episode of the In Case You Missed It podcast. Let's see what you missed. I'd like to open today's episode by encouraging you to donate to Marietta's medical bill GoFundMe, if at all possible. For those of you that are unaware, Marietta Jackson has worked as a cashier in Hubble Dining Hall at Drake University for 15 years. Recently, Marietta was diagnosed with stage 3 ovarian cancer. Due to this, a GoFundMe has been set up to collect donations to help ease the burden of Marietta's medical bills from her treatments. Per the GoFundMe page, we hope that the Drake community can join together to help Marietta in any way we can and to make her feel as special as she has made thousands of students feel throughout her time here at Drake. The GoFundMe page will be linked in the show notes and shared on the DBS Instagram through our link tree in our bio. Again, if you are able, please donate to this cause. For our second news piece of the day, I'd like to share a snippet from an official Drake News release regarding the upcoming Martin Buxbaum Distinguished Lecture on April 4th. Buckle up, journalism majors, because you're going to love this one. Former investigative reporter for the Washington Post, Bob Woodward, will deliver the Martin Buxbaum Distinguished Lecture at 7 p.m. on April 4th at Drake University's Knapp Center. Woodward gained international attention when he and Carl Bernstein uncovered the Watergate scandal in 1973. His factual, nonpartisan revelations to readers and audiences provide a view of Washington they'll never get elsewhere. He has written about the last 10 U.S. presidents and chronicled how the power of the presidency has evolved. He has authored or co-authored 21 best-selling books, 15 of which went to number one, more than any contemporary nonfiction writer. This Buxbaum lecture occurs twice every year thanks to a gift left by the late Melva and Martin Buxbaum and some other recognizable names that have visited Drake University to give the Buxbaum lecture are Megan Rapinoe in 2019, a famed television personality Bill Nye the Science Guy in 2016, <laughs> sad I missed that one, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson in 2013, and the guy who I was named after, Drake alum and a famed author slash journalist Bill Bryson in 2009. <laughs> Bob Woodward will add to that list come April 4th at 7 p.m. in the Knapp Center. Wow. I, I, I need to be there. You know, I, <laughs> if I saw an ad for, like, this poster probably, like, on the wall in Olmstead or something, I probably would just look right past it. But hearing about the whole Watergate scale yeah, and everything, yeah. this sounds like it'll be an event that I yeah. can go to. Yeah, and I find it interesting because, um, you know, the Bucksbaum Lecture, I think I – Obviously, I think I've heard the term before, like the name of the lecture, but um, mainly because of COVID, they haven't had it since 2019. Right. Or they had it last year in 2022, but not since 2019 before then. So personally, it was it was kind of a surprise to me that such a, a famed person was visiting Drake, and I didn't really have any knowledge of it outside of 
I'm a sports editor on the Times Delphic, so we're kind of ge- geeking out about that. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I didn't really hear much about it. And I had no clue that these other people had visited Drake before and given lectures, like, you know, Bill Nye and Neil deGrasse Tyson. Right. They seem like pretty big-name people that come to a college like Drake. Yeah. So that, that was really cool to do kind of research into that and see what their lectures were like and just the other people that have come. And it makes me excited for future lectures because, again, they have them twice a year. So we'll have another one in the fall and another one in the spring of next year. And um, I'm just excited to see who they have next. And, again, I was, I was very surprised that we have such an impactful person coming to Drake. Right. I mean, the Watergate scandal. Yeah, very, like, yeah, notable people. Like Neil deGrasse Tyson and then, yeah, Bill Nye, the science guy. This is like the Drake realize <laughs> of <laughs> lectures. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I know we talked about once, I think it was – it was interesting. We actually we recorded a pilot episode that was never released mm-hmm. because we weren't happy with it. We weren't happy with organizations. So we changed everything up, and then you got the real episode one, which is available if you haven't listened to it yet. But in that episode that we never released, we talked about how we feel Drake University has an issue with advertising right. events yeah. like this, where we talked about how a lot of times, um, and I think at the time, one of the things we talked about was the John D. Bright showing, which was a really, really cool movie about a really cool, or not a movie, a documentary about the history of John D. Bright, who was a really, really famous football player for the Drake football team, arguably the best player who's ever played for Drake, and one of the best players in college football history. And uh, we were just disappointed because when we went, I went to cover it for a Times Delphic sports article. And when we went, there was just a a lack of students there. It was a lot of faculty, adults, and even then there weren't that many yeah. people. And it, it was it was disappointing a little bit, but it was also like I didn't know about this outside of the Times Delphic assignment, and I know that my friends hadn't heard about it yeah. outside of me telling them, hey, do you want to go to this thing with me? So what do you think? Do you think that – do you still agree that there's a issue when it comes to advertising events like this, like um, the Bucks Bomb lecture and like that – past event right yeah i do believe there is because that john d bright like i was i went there for uh just pretty much kind of for fun to tag along but it was really an uh, informative documentary and the posters around campus just don't really do a lot of events justice most of the times unless there's like unless i happen to be checking my email like that's usually what gets me to go to events but even then yeah. it's like not enough i feel like there should be more like some sort of main feed to get like announcements about school activities yeah. I, mean, I hope posters do something because yeah <laughs> today and right. yesterday oliver and i went around campus putting up in case you missed a podcast poster so yeah. hopefully that boosts our viewership a little bit it's, it's interesting we do have like uh averaging about 30 people per episode which is more than i thought we'd ever get or deserve so thank you to everyone who mm-hmm. listens every single week and uh yeah Right. I, I put a lot of love and care into each individual poster. You know, these aren't like a Canva mass produced. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the type of stuff I make for the DBS Instagram page, <laughs> Canva mass produced designs. Um, so I guess since there is an issue with advertising stuff, do you think there is a solution to that mm-hmm. that Drake University could do? And what is that solution? Right. Uh, I think, I mean, it was funny. Just today I was at the cafeteria Hubble, you yeah. know, and there was like, all these TVs that I just never look at that like yeah. are only used solely to show like the menu items and like so high up that I'd never look at them. 
and they like switch between yeah. slides every yeah. 30 seconds. And it, it's it's also funny because like with the menu items, I, I don't understand why they need to have the TVs above like the pasta and the pizza and the, <laughs> and the, the grill with the burgers, right. the chicken sandwiches, because that's the same thing Just every have single a piece time. Of paper like, oh, let me pizza. check the menu for this. <laughs> oh, chicken sandwiches and burgers again. <laughs> it's been like this for, hoping for, uh, for five years. <laughs> or something. Yeah. yeah. I think those TVs, maybe they could be like better utilized, like put in like, spaces around Hubble where you'd actually like be looking at yeah and have more like vital information maybe have TVs up in like a Olmstead or something they, I know that there is one I don't know if it like is on all the time or what but I I remember I was in Olmstead one time I had to pick up a check from student services and I noticed I for some reason I had never taken notice of it before but there's a TV there and it was like showing upcoming events on campus I didn't really? even know it was there. Wait, where I, was this? It was, like, it's like right next to student services. So oh. in the breezeway of Olmstead, there's yeah. like one TV there and it shows like the date huh. and a, and some like kind of rotation of pictures. And then in the bottom right is a section that's like rolling through upcoming events. Right. I don't know if that's on all the time, but it was there. And yeah. I was like, wow, it's, I yeah. wish they had this everywhere. <laughs> right. Part of me like thinks like, oh man, they got to do a lot more to advertise. And then the other part of me is like, maybe I'm just like not looking. <laughs> like everything just like, yeah. I don't even pay attention yeah. to it. I mean, and... Like you said, posters don't do a ton, but I do think they could help a bit. Yeah. I mean, when we went around campus putting up our posters, um, assuming they didn't all fall down because <laughs> we did use some lackluster tape, but we put up those posters and we noticed that there were a lot of posters that were way out of date. Like mm -hmm. in some areas, there'd be like posters from January that haven't been taken down. So, And that's not to say that you know those posters shouldn't have been put up. It's just to say that I feel like none of those posters we saw were for like events hosted by the university i guess they were more like student oh, oriented right. event, like dogtown after hours mm -hmm. and like student recitals and stuff like that and less events because it's also interesting because i i run the dbs instagram page uh -huh. and i actually go on there and just browse sometimes the feed <laughs> because drake dbs instagram follows all these other drake accounts so when i go there i see like all these cool events and like lectures and workshops going uh -huh. on that are posted by like the individual drake clubs and uh groups and like student activities board and stuff like that and if i wasn't to go there i wouldn't have ever seen those things um so i do think that you know following those accounts can help but i do think it it would be really useful to have one central place that's easily accessible. It has to be very easy. Yeah. yeah. Where you could see like, okay, I don't have any homework today. All my friends are busy with homework. What is there to do on campus? Mm -hmm. um, because I feel like I miss events sometimes that I'm like, yeah, you know, if, if I was free and I might've been, uh, I would have gone to that. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one thing where like, I noticed like John D. Bright posters after the event, like yeah. that's when you start seeing them <laughs> is when you're like, oh, Shoot, yeah. I, I could have known about this all this time. Yeah, And whoever is putting up the You Will Therapy posters did a very good job because yeah. they're on every spot of campus. So props to that guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know that when we last talked about it, you also mentioned, uh, and I think Charlie mentioned, mm -hmm. the, is it Guidebook app? Oh, yes. There's some some app that we use, that everybody, everybody uses in Welcome Week right? because it like lists all the events and times and has like the ability to sign up and it tells you when things are full. And Charlie was saying, or you were saying, one of you were saying, that it would be so useful if that included just all the events on campus all yeah. year that students could RSVP for. And they could simply go on there and see if there's any events that you're interested in that weekend or that week, um, rather than having to either go to the Drake website or find the individual Instagram pages or look mm -hmm. at posters on the wall. Because the app is there. I mean, they have right. the ability to do it. We, we've seen it. We see it during Welcome Week every year. Yeah. So. 
I mean, yeah, it was uh, Charlie who brought that up, and it is called Guidebook. I just looked at it, and yeah, it's like they are, I mean, obviously they have utilized this service just for the first week of your freshman year is the yeah. only time you'll see it, yeah. and then it's just out of your head, but it's pretty useful app, easy. It's like a calendar type. Like, I could be using it instead of Google Calendar maybe, but yeah. it's a really good idea to, like, easily look at all of Drake's events that are going on, but I don't think they do that at all. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. So a few weeks ago, I was we were we brought up AI on the podcast, just like general questions about like the the future of it, like how it's going to impact all of our careers. And uh, as a graphic design artist, I've been very I've been keeping very up to date on it. Yeah. Just like a, a few days ago, in my uh, form and concept class, which is a graphic design course, my professor Professor Fender was uh, speaking about AI. Like he just brought it up out of the blue. And, like, saying that, like, he lived through, like, in the 80s and 90s, which was, like, the first big shift in art from, like, for graphic designers, like, switching from uh, physically cutting out papers and, like, getting, like, templates to, like, copy-paste into different magazines and stuff like that. They switched from that to, like, computers. And that got rid of, like, tons of jobs he was talking about. And he is, like, saying that, like, this is going to be the next big thing. Like, like it or not, AIR is coming. And, like... For the last few weeks, I've been very against, like, AI art online, like, seeing it all the time. I'm, like, liking and, like, retweeting all these posts about, like, artists being, like, bring this down. Like, it's unethical because you're stealing art from artists without consent. But at this point, it is, like, too enveloped and it's getting better and better where it's... There's no way to tell the difference anymore between AI art and regular art already. We're reaching that point. And we need to learn as artists just to like learn to adapt and change with the times and use it for like to make us better at art rather than letting it take our jobs we have to adapt and so sort of on a related note i came across this recent news that i haven't heard like anybody talk about like in the mainstream i just like saw like a random headline that microsoft dropped its uh, ethics department it they laid off it was just a group of like eight people mm-hmm. in the in the ai ethics department that like they would do like checks on like making sure that like or oh, is what we're releasing like ethical for people to like consume it's not breaking any sort of laws or like yeah people's like uh infringement of copyright and stuff like mm-hmm. that and so like in this race for this new technology all these companies are recognizing they are getting rid of any sort of uh checks to make sure that what they're doing is right because they're hoping to strike gold like chat gpt yeah. already has yeah and it's just really worrying to see that right mm-hmm. now. So you're saying basically AI art and AI in general uh-huh. um, is a gold rush and companies in order to get as much gold as possible before anyone else does uh, to lay down the mines are doing things like that where they're releasing or dropping their ethics teams and that's worrying. Why? Right. It's worrying because, I mean, AI art, and I'm sure as like a journalism major, major, you can understand like yeah. how scary it is that these things can write out like reports and mm-hmm. answer things so easily. Yeah. And it's worrying because they're not worried about what how this will actually help people. They're just worried about how they can attract more attention to the most people. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they have the wrong goal in mind of actually like being able to help the consumers because like. There's not exactly a lot of jobs out there for yeah. artists yeah. and uh, journalists these days, and it seems like they aren't doing anything to help that. Yeah. You, when you say, I can understand that as a journalist, I agree, because um, you look at, you know, sp- take sports writing, for example. If 
I mean, if you take out quotes as like a primary piece of a lot of articles, because there are some publications who don't quote, they just post recaps of right. games. AI can easily do that. Yeah, it um, probably already does. If, yeah, if there's a source that has the score, the points, who who scored, um, when they scored, an AI could easily write a quick, in a split second, mm-hmm. um, a game recap, which a company would prefer because the faster you get the recap out, the more clicks you get because mm-hmm. you're the first one that shows up. And if you take it to other things, like, I don't know, even obituaries, for example, that's something that if you just put in the achievements, the data, whatever, AI can, you know, churn out something relatively unique. So definitely uh, worrisome. And, I, you know, me personally, I don't think I'm going to go into the writing world. But even with that, uh, some of the stuff that I'm passionate about, double major with business, some of the business jobs, like I love marketing. I love that. I love the idea of digital marketing. Um, I love the idea of someday owning a consulting firm in that realm. And that becomes a lot harder if there's AI that can give companies really, really good, well-informed, well-researched recommendations for their marketing processes in seconds better than any, you know, five, six-person corporate marketing team could. So definitely some scares there for, I think, all jobs that, you know, I mean, instead it turns to the question of, are these jobs safe because AI won't be able to have the unique, I guess, thought process that humans have? Uh Or what's your opinion on that? I think that because AI is, it's learning, it's a learning model. It's learning from human like speech, what we talk about, what we write down. And because of that, it's able to perfectly replicate real thoughts. And at this point, I think as long as you feed it the right information, it can come up with things that are completely indiscernible from what people Mm -hmm. say. Mm -hmm. And that's really like why I think it's important to keep bringing it up. Like, even though it's not Drake news right now, yeah, I feel like any college student kind of needs to know about this and stay up to date with it. Yeah. And I mean, the only, in my opinion, the only area that could arguably be untouched is AI. <laughs> if you're an AI engineer or something, computer right. engineer or something You're doing like great, that. guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're doing great. Um, but yeah, no, all all jobs, especially entry-level jobs, mm-hmm. uh, which is what a lot of, you know, people out of high school, college students rely yeah. on. Internships. Yeah, those could become obsolete because most internships, most entry-level jobs, it's grunt work. You uh-huh. know, it's organizing Excel sheets. It's you know, organizing files, sending dummy emails. And those duties could very easily be taken up by AI in the next five to 10 years. And if so, you know, what are, what do entry level positions look like um, 10 years from now, or at least the majority of them, if those bare bones tasks can be completed for free with, you know, no benefits by by an AI like ChatGPT. And like you said, the graphic design world, the artistry world, definitely gonna take a hit from this from ai art and it's really interesting what you bring up with them dropping the ethics team because again that big ethical question around if ai art is basing everything off pre-existing art is that ethical is that right do you think it's right or ethical i uh definitely do not think it's right or ethical i hope in the future that like five to ten years from now Mm -hmm. art is still being made by humans people are probably going to be using ARR to help with like concepts to get like an idea out of their head quickly. But I hope that obviously it doesn't erase jobs. Mm -hmm. 
and I'm sure that it will because I mean as my professor was talking about like when computers were invented tons of jobs got eliminated and people thought like what are we going to do but more jobs always come and I like to stay hopeful that more jobs will come like even if you can't like can't even imagine it right now like what will happen that there will be new jobs in the future because there always is yeah yeah i agree i agree with that sentiment it's just uh it's really interesting to try and imagine what jobs are gonna be because then Mm -hmm. in my opinion there's a question of okay yes there's always gonna be new jobs but if you take away jobs like for one for one example um the trucking industry Mm. is something that is in a super dangerous boat right now because if they come out with trucks like electric trucks that are self-driving that are statistically have less accidents than human truckers Mm -hmm. every company is going to go to that less accidents equals more money and you don't have to pay them outside you know operational costs and stuff like that which might end up evening it out or be more expensive but at the end of the day you know that industry alone employs millions of americans every year and my question is do you think that you say you believe there's going to be jobs to replace i agree with that i think there's always going to be new jobs as old jobs filter out but do you think that the minimum knowledge or education for those jobs on average is going to increase because Mm -hmm. as these jobs with these simple tasks kind of deplete with ai the jobs that are left available require are going to require a higher level of right. you know thinking so does that mean that will also require a high, higher level of education meaning you know high yeah. school diploma won't cut it and there won't be any entry level jobs for high school diplomas if if those types of jobs are all taken up yeah i do think so like people i think definitely anybody who gets like people are going to have to figure out how to use ai to help with their job or else they're not going to get the job and though like learning is getting easier than ever because of the internet and like the amount of free information online that can currently be found sometimes companies just care about like okay where did you study like they want physical evidence that you are doing work yeah so that's a really hard question to answer but yeah i agree with that i am on like right now i am taking the computer ethics class and that is why i'm interested in it it's came at like a very interesting time with the chat gpt and everything and we have like a discussion often in that class about how as we were talking about autonomous vehicles and where people are more willing to accept a person killing somebody in a crash versus a robot mm-hmm. like they do like tons of tests there's like that trolley problem where like oh are you willing to like turn the uh, lever to kill less people but you're making like the conscious decision yeah. to yeah I, I get what you're saying i mean i have a fear of flying right yeah even though i fly a lot i still have a fear of flying and i think people always tell me well you know you're more likely to die in a car accident that's what they tell me all the time mm-hmm. the problem with that is I don't have control over the plane. Yes. Right. That's that's like I think that that kind of ties into that a little uh-huh. bit. Where what you're saying is it's about the human element. People are more willing to like believe in a human making mistakes because you're there's some point of like relatability where you yeah. can understand being killed through like natural mm-hmm. causes by another person. But, but when if it's a, a robot machine, makes a mistake, yeah, even if it makes less mistakes yeah. on average, especially because if it's the robot making the mistake, say there's an electric um, self-driving car that gets in an accident. Mm-hmm. If all of those self-driving cars are programmed in the exact same way, then that means every single one of those electric self-driving cars is susceptible to that exact same accident. Yeah. So, 
I guess that's an interesting point. Whereas if it's a human making that accident, okay, maybe that person just made a mistake and that's that person. But if a self-driving car crashes, okay, that's everybody's, you know, there's millions of that car instead of where in the other case it'd be like, there's millions of that person. In this case, it's millions of that car. Yeah. I mean, we like to think that yeah, people are completely unique. Mm-hmm. Machines are just so cold and unfeeling that like creating something that is killing us, <laughs> I yeah. guess, yeah. is scary. And also there's like the question of like, do we program like an autonomous car to swerve out of the way of killing a 90-year-old to kill like yeah. an infant or something yeah. like that? Like s- impossible questions. Yeah, like I've that. seen that that uh, question too. And yeah, it is interesting how when like even if – there's less deaths or mistakes or accidents with a self-driving car. People would be more concerned about that than the, you know, millions of accidents that happen every year mm-hmm. by humans. Because if you get in a self-driving car, you're handing controls over to something that you don't understand or you just isn't you. It's hard to do that. I hope at the end of the day we can relate that to, like, <laughs> AI art. I hope people want to see art made by people in the future because at the end of the day i did just say earlier i guess i did contradict myself because i said like oh like ai created writing is based off people so it's still Mm. perfectly unique and they can replicate how humans think but i'm extremely biased being an art major that i feel like it doesn't replicate art as well a lot of man-made art is based in emotion and how that person feels while right while painting that thing or drawing that thing, even if it's you know even if they're instructed to draw or paint a certain thing, their emotions and their life experiences play into that mm-hmm. you know. Whereas the same goes with, for writing. Yeah, exactly. But when it comes to an AI, none of that plays a role. Uh-huh. It's just instructional. You give me this, and then it kind of sifts through whatever and puts that together. So I do think there will always be. Um, value in man-made art because of that, mm-hmm. because it's more relatable, because you can understand, I guess, the feelings and the experiences that went into it. Whereas with AI art, it's just, you know, it's just, you know. Uh, How many people are going to value it? How will companies value it? And the answer is probably not enough. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this conversation. To support this podcast, please follow the Drake Broadcasting System on any social media platforms you use.